Welcome in Victory City. So glad that you are joining back in with us this week. We are just so excited to once again bring you the Word of God in this way. Just, I'm just always excited to bring the Word of God. Just so grateful for what the Lord is doing, um, not just in our church, but what the Lord is doing in the Universal Church as a whole. Um, I'm just really excited as we've been working through the book of Matthew and looking at the specific sermons that Jesus has preached and the things that he's addressing. And I've said it every week that he is, in fact, going back to what's old, to not bring us anything new, but to reaffirm what has already been spoken to us. So we're still in Matthew today and we're still going through this sermon um, to see what God is even providing for us through the sermon of Jesus today in some of these foundational teachings and what we want to happen is that as we are being very intentional to go through these sermons, that you really look at your life, even during this fast, and use this as a time to look introspectively into your life and to think, okay, are, are some of these places that I need to be rooted in, are they as strong as they should be? Um, you know, we've talked about the Beatitudes, we've talked about anger, we've talked about lust, we've even talked about divorce and marriage. So I'm hoping that these are, you know, relaying the foundation that's really already there, but reaffirming and reestablishing you in the truth and what we should know about the truth of what Jesus has spoken in the word of God. So you have noticed the sermon this week, which is still God, watch your mouth. And the reason we're, we're talking about that is because I know you've probably looked ahead. If you all know where I'm going, you're probably peeking ahead of these texts and wondering, all right, where are we going next? And you probably looked at this scripture on oaths and said, all right, no, I know we're going to go ahead and skip that. So let me see what's coming after this. And I'd be lying if I didn't say there was just a little part of me that was thinking, you know, maybe I can skip this. But it was just a very quick passing thought. Jesus here is going to be speaking about oaths, um, which as a term, when we see that term, may seem somewhat irrelevant to us. But I hope that today can offer us perspective and really make us think more about what we say. Hence the title, Watch Your Mouth. So jump with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you one more week for the word. God, um, help us see this truth. It is so relevant to us, God. Though these things seem old and out of touch, God, they have tremendous impact on who we are and the lives that we lead today. We pray that you offer us clarity, but also you will give us tremendous application with this in our lives. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So in order for us to begin here and for you to have some good clarity and understanding on the text, we need to understand God and the oath and just what Jesus means when he's referring here to an oath. 
Now, the people who were listening, remembering these are going to be a primarily Jewish and Pharisee audience, would have known full well what Jesus was referring to here when he makes mention of oaths. But for us, that context is probably going to be a little bit lost. So in order to get more context, I want you to look at me, look with me at Numbers chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse. So, why are oaths, as we understand it in the Bible, why are oaths given? They here are understood to be a binding statement that came as a moral responsibility to God. Now, initially, you would take these oaths in front of judges and priests, and they would attest that you said what you said, and the ramifications of what you said were held by God. So if you told the truth under oath, then obviously there would be no curse that would come. But if you were lying, there were ramifications that would come because you lied under oath. As you have, as you have seen in this numbers text, having lied would have brought about severe consequences. Now, why are these bringing about severe consequences? Because in this text, if the woman here was found to be lying about what had happened, this was a case where what she could have possibly have been accused of, there's no way they would have been able to validate that or invalidate what she was saying. So what they did, because they had this higher moral standard in God, they swore, they made an oath to God. And the, the truth would only come out if... The oath was held up or if the consequence of the oath came upon that person. And that is how we were able to determine whether or not these people were telling the truth or they were lying under oath. So in the context here for the Jews, this is more than just what is legally binding. This is what is compelling us spiritually in our devotion and understanding and according to the justice and judgment of God. So again, why are oaths given? What would have led to the necessity of such statements, right? Simple. And something that we have talked about quite often. We've talked about this ad nauseum. We have always said, and I've tried to make it clear to you, man cannot be man's own moral standard. One cannot be a witness for themselves in the courtroom just as much as they cannot be the one who acquits themselves in the courtroom. He cannot be his own justifier. This is the mistake that many of us make, that we think that we can be the standard of morality in our own lives. But what you realize very quickly, if you are the standard of morality in your life, then you realize there is no standard of morality. And so what's happening here, in order to give a standard of morality, they had what is called the oath because no one could attest to themselves and be the justifier of themselves. Now, we know that when Jesus came, he would be the justifier for all of those of us who believe. But in this case, 
the truth would either justify or condemn. It would justify because if what you said was true, there was no curse that came upon you according to the statement you made. And if it condemns you, it's because what you were saying was a lie. And the curse that came from having lied under oath to God meant severe consequences and even possibly death. Man's natural position, however, is not to tell the truth. Man's natural disposition is to tell whatever they need to say in order to defend and protect oneself and one's own interests. And we don't have to look very far in the Bible to see where this happens. In the beginning, when Adam gets deceived by the serpent because Eve was deceived by the serpent, what does he say? Well, God, it's the woman you gave me. What does she say? Well, it's the serpent that deceived me. Each one of them, in an effort to defend themselves, deflect blame, which should have really fallen on them. They were at fault. But you must understand that the reason why the oath is given, because we naturally will say what will most protect and defend ourselves. So in order to take an oath, we have to give it to someone that is a higher judge than self. Again, the consequences would be substantial, though, if these oaths were falsely given. Now, when I say all of this, I know you're thinking, well, this is, Brandon, a bit obscure. But even in our own world, we have adopted this exact same system. What are some examples? Anybody who's been in a courtroom, what must a witness do? A witness must take their hand, place it on the Bible, and swear that they are telling the truth. Now, that swearing is an oath. Now, when they are doing this, they have to attest that they are, in fact, telling the truth. Now, in our increasingly liberal world, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if this will eventually fade out. But the idea, the idea here is that even the judge themselves, right, who does the witness swear to? Are they swearing to the judge? No. So even the judge cannot be the higher standard of morality. When they take the oath, they are swearing on behalf of God. They are swearing to God that what I am saying is the truth. Because even in our legal system, they see the, the fallenness of even the moral human standard of another judge, who we would say is the highest legal standard in our own society. But even that's not enough when you're really trying to get the truth out of someone. So he must say an oath. He or she must say an oath, swear by something that has a higher standard of morality than themselves. And for hundreds of years in our country, that standard has been to swear on the Bible because you are making that oath to God, which is to be binding for us. Not only that, but we've also seen that. When we recently saw the swearing in, right, of a new president and a new administration, when they're sworn in, they place their hands on a Bible saying that they will uphold the position and do what is just and what is right in the eyes of not the people, hence the swearing of themselves on the Bible, but in the eyes of a higher moral standard than even the people, that being God. So you think that, that this is irrelevant, but this is all in our legal system even today. But I think what you can see is that in our society, there is this divorce between legality and morality. 
They think it is just some happenstance action that you take and that you can divorce what is legal, right, from what is moral. But what God is saying is that whatever binds you morally will always supplant anything that you are bound to legally. That's a very important point. Now, not only that, but um, even in our Old Testament history, we see that men, great Old Testament men, affirm truth themselves by taking an oath to God. Not just that, but God himself takes oaths. What does he say? He says things like this. And this is an oath statement. As long as I live, God says, I will or when he couldn't swear by a greater name, he swore by his own name. Now, why in the world would God be taking an oath? And why would Jesus in our text say, don't take an oath at all? What is the context here? And what is God trying to show us? And what is Jesus trying to say? Why is God taking an oath? After all, he is not able to swear by a name greater than himself, for he is the greatest name. For God swearing does not mean, okay, when I swear, when I give this oath, that these words here are more important. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying that these words have more authority than anything else I say. Every word that comes that proceeds out of the mouth of God is full of equal value and authority. But he does this to emphasize not to himself, but to man by an oath how serious what he is saying is. For us, oaths are given because we know that man should not naturally be trusted within himself. So why is Jesus making, again, such a big deal about this? Where is all of this coming from? Well, that's actually where we're going. Oath giving had devolved into a flippant way for someone just to convince somebody else that they weren't lying, whether they were or they weren't. And so they would say things like we have heard people say in our own lives, like I swear to God or on God, on my life, on my mama, on my daddy grave, all these things that we've heard people say, because these are oath statements, right? We don't take it as that, but these are oath statements that refer to God being the highest moral authority. These are in total violation of the, the commandment that says that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, some people have even said, on my life, as a means to say, well, I'm not going to say on God, I would just say on my life, but the life that you were given was given to you by God. And Jesus says, don't even swear on the hairs on your head because you can't even make them white or black if you decide. So what he's saying is don't use this in some flipping way because when these oaths were given and why they were given had such severity to it. And it was this binding moral statement that you were making before God. You don't use God as some proof of our integrity, misuses of oaths and swearing in this way totally not only undermines the truth, but it also undermines who God is. So again, what's the big deal? These are just words, right? No, God has always made it clear throughout 
the, the history of our Bible, that the, our words are the tattletale on our hearts, right? They serve as the thermometers of our spiritual condition. So for one to just flippantly say, I swear to God, or any other phrase that is used to profane the name of God, and it reveals that for us, we lack reverence for God that we should have. And it shows how we already think of him in our hearts. When we just so flippantly throw the name of God around or just use the name as if it is um, a, 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 a robe that we put on our words, what it does is it devalues who God is, not just in our lives, but it devalues who God is in the lives of the people who know that we're supposed to have a relationship with him. So why is it profane to take an oath meant that something serious was happening. Something serious was happening, serious enough where you needed to take an oath in order for the people to know that what you were saying was to be trusted. This is why Jesus was so emphatic about marriage, remember? We just talked about it. Why is he so emphatic about marriage? Because it is an oath. In the presence of a priest, right, with witnesses to the oath, you swore to cherish and to love, in better and worse, good or bad, sickness and health, rich and poor. That is why the witnesses are there to attest that when you took that oath, that you said what you were going to do. And in the Old Testament, to break this oath would have brought about tremendous consequences. And this is one of the ways that we take advantage of the grace of God that we think has been provided for us through Jesus, that we take the grace of God and we use it as an opportunity to continue in sin, to break our word, to not hold up our word the way that we have said that we would. So, but this is the thing, by not keeping the oath, by not keeping your word, it not only breaks the oath, but it reveals that one has very little morality in the first place. If we only have to answer to ourselves, then our words will always be empty and weightless, right? Have you ever caught someone in a lie when they simply just could have told you the truth and it would have been so much easier for them and you if they had told the truth? Have you ever had somebody tell you that they were going to do something for you unsolicited? They're going to fulfill some promise and you wait and you wait and then you go to them and then they treat you as if you're bothering them when it was them who said that they would fulfill it. We live now, honestly, in a culture that thinks that our words do not matter. They believe that the freedom of speech frees you from the consequences of that speech. But even in a world where we don't have to answer for our words, God says that one day we will have to answer for our words. What does it say in Matthew 12 and 36? I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And this is the emphasis. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. 
you will give an account. That is it. When Jesus says, simply let your yes be yes and your no a no, he is not saying never take an oath. In fact, we see in Matthew 26, 63 through 64, that Jesus himself, when in front of a legal authority, takes an oath. He makes an oath statement when they ask him, is he the son of God? He says, you have said so. That is an oath. He is taking an oath. So he isn't saying that there is no need for us to take an oath or that they, they don't matter. But he's saying when you do, because they have such an importance, there's no need for the exaggeration, right? There's no need for all of the hyperbole. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. That's why the Bible says that flattery is such a sin. It isn't just paying a compliment to somebody. But it is unnecessarily going above and beyond to find favor with people. So you overemphasize the compliment that you're throwing at them. Paul says that the underlying motive for flattery and smooth talk is not for appreciation or admiration, but it is to deceive, not to impress. We have this family member in our family, and my family that's watching will know exactly what I'm talking about, who everything she ever does is the best thing ever. Best thing ever. So whether it's cake, it's the best cake ever. Whether it's shoes, it's the best shoes ever. A root canal, the best root canal ever. Anything, it's the best everything that she's ever had. But what happens is when our words like this are so flippant and so empty and shallow that when we intend for them to carry weight, then they are as light as a feather. We all know the story of the boy who cried wolf. You cry wolf so many times that the words lose their weight and their meaning. That is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. When we handle our lives in a way that our word is sincere and we mean it, but not just that, when we say we're going to do something, we do it. And when we say we're not going to do something, we don't do it. Let your word be your bond because your word is reflective of your character. That is exactly what he's trying to communicate. And if you cannot trust somebody's word, then you cannot trust their character. That's the fact. There's this book, one of my favorite books called The Four Agreements. And the very first agreement that it has is this. Be impeccable with your word. Be impeccable with your word. And there's a quote, and I want to give it to you directly from this book. And I really want you to think about this. It says this. The word is so powerful that one word can change a life or destroy the lives of millions of people. Some years ago, one man in Germany, by the use of the word, manipulated a whole country of the most intelligent people. He led them into a world war with just the power of his word. He convinced others to commit the most atrocious acts of violence. He activated people's fear with the word, and like a big explosion, there was killing and war all around the world. All over the world, humans destroyed other humans because they were afraid of each other. Hitler's word, based on fear-generated beliefs and agreements, will be remembered for centuries. Let me ask you this. 
What are you doing with your word? What are you doing with it? What impact are you having on the people around you about what you say? And I don't mean like the exaggeration or hyperbole, but when you speak, do you speak as one who not only knows the truth, but tells the truth, but tells the truth in love, who people know that when you say, yes, I will do it, I will be there, you can be trusted, knowing that those words are not just a reflection of you, but it's also a reflection of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. So that people who are judging your life are also getting a gauge for what this whole Christianity thing is about. What weight do your words carry? What do your words say about your character? Paul said that we are to speak words that edify and that build one another up. In other words, our speech should be laced with the love of the, of the gospel, but they should also be Filled with truth. Look at what Ephesians 4.25 says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What are you doing with your words? How are you using your words to justify the truth of who God is and who the justifier of our lives is in Jesus Christ? When you speak, do people know that your words carry tremendous weight? There are so many times that, especially us as believers, where we always need to have something to say. We always need to speak. We always need to raise up a thought and opinion. But I've learned this about people who don't talk a lot. And you probably know some people like this. When they do speak, people listen. Because they know they don't waste words. You want to be the kind of person that when people describe you, one of the best ways you can describe a person is, that is saying this, that there are no wasted words. Every word they use, every word they say is thought-provoking. It is well thought out. It is considerate. It is full of grace. It is full of compassion, full of love, full of mercy, and full of Jesus. What are your words saying about you? What weight do your words carry when you speak? Do people know that you are sincere? But do they also know that you're serious? Do they know that you're passionate about the truth? So as we close, I really want you to think about this and think about this this week. How are my words either portraying me or betraying me? Are they revealing who I really am or are they revealing who Christ is in my life? How are you personally using your words to either be the light of the gospel in people's lives or be the torch that burns up people's lives? The flame that is uncontrolled as James describes it. How are you using your words to edify and build up? How are when you make statements of truth, how do people regard that truth? How do people look at you? Listen. We've heard this so often, but it is truth, though it may be cliche, but so often the only connection people will have, the only gospel people will hear will be the gospel they hear out of your mouth and the one they see with your life. So do your words either support who you really are? Are they revealing who you really are? Or do you have a real true relationship with Jesus Christ and your words when you speak reveal that truth about you?
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word today, God. We do realize that our words are so important, God. And the more we speak in such a flippant way, God, whether we use our words in ways to justify ourselves or um, demean you or undermine truth, God, we know that our words only have meaning when they're laced with truth that comes from you, God. Truth that is gracious, truth that is patient, that is long-suffering, that is firm in it, God. We pray, Lord, that um, this week that you would just reveal to us the ways that we sometimes so flippantly speak, God, so callously um, speak to one another, not in truth, but out of anger and out of hurt, God. But there must be, when we speak truth, this marrying of truth and love, and we cannot separate those two, God. Please just give us what we need to be able to share the truth in love full of grace, full of wisdom, seasoned with salt, as we talked about a few weeks ago. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.